You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, so I'm going to divide um, uh, this hour into two sections. So the first section is actually not going to be um, from a biblical point of view. It's just a general explanation of what anxiety is about. And I just want to make that clear so that we actually understand what the difference is between anxiety and anxiety disorder. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the common contributors to anxiety that we experience in modern day society. And then I'll finish it off by having a look at uh, what the Bible says about anxiety, what we can learn from God. So just to begin with, I'm just going to read out a few testimonials of people that have experienced anxiety. And um, and then I'm going to go straight into it. So the first one. Uh, This is a a girl, and this is her description of the type of anxiety that she experiences. So the first time I had a panic attack, I was sitting in my friend's house, and I thought the house was burning down. I called my mum, and she brought me home. And for the next three years, it just would not stop. So that's the panic attacks. The second one is I still do get terribly nervous, and that's partly due to the fact that I think too much and overanalyze things. I'll start worrying about my parents or my dog, and I'll picture him opening the window to my apartment and falling out, even though I can't get the thing open myself. So obviously there's some confused thinking there, um, some irrational thoughts. And the third one, between ages 15 to 20, it was really intense. I was constantly anxious. I was kind of a control freak. If I didn't know how something was going to turn out, I would make myself ill. Or, or just be locked up or inhibited in a way that was really debilitating. And the fourth one, I would get anxiety attacks too. It was heart palpitations, shortness of breath, coldness and shivers, strange stuff. And I'd be like, you're totally fine, you're not having a heart attack. Okay, so sometimes the physical symptoms can be quite intense. So I actually need a clicker. So where's, yep. Ah, wait a minute, I've gone ahead a bit too much. Let's go back one more. No. Okay. So this is just a a definition, a brief definition of what anxiety is. It is an emotion. It's often a healthy emotion in a lot of situations. So, for example, if you're going to do something new um, or unfamiliar, you might feel anxious if you're sitting down for an exam or... I don't know, you're getting married or, I don't know, just in a situation, going for a job interview, to actually feel nervous or a little bit anxious is quite normal. Um, Anxiety does um, become problematic when it lingers on for too long, when it is irrational, excessive, um, as I said, too persistent, and when it's attached to situations that do not warrant it and when it interferes with a person's life. So usually anxiety can start off as something quite normal, as a normal response to something that you might be going through, such as stress. But the difference is with anxiety is that once the stressor has gone away, anxiety tends to linger. So you might overthink the situation or overthink um, what might happen in the future. So um, I like to take what's called a holistic approach when it comes to anxiety and mental health. 
And what that means is that we, as people, have got different parts to who we are. So we've got our capacity to think, we've got our emotions, our physical bodies, we've got choice, so our behavioural um, choices that we make, and obviously the spiritual. So when it comes to anxiety or any other form of mental health, I believe that it's really important to take into account each of the different aspects of who we are. So in terms of our thoughts, anxiety can manifest in a lot of a particular type of thinking. So uh, ruminating or obsessing, uh, catastrophizing, so thinking about you know, the worst case scenario, um, you know, worrying about the what-ifs, which is very future-focused, which is very typical of anxiety thinking. You know, what if this happens? What if this doesn't happen? Um, is very common. In terms of emotions, um, some of the emotions that people describe that they feel when they're feeling anxious is a combination of fear or dread or panic or terror. That's just to name a few. And in terms of physical changes that happen when somebody's feeling anxious, there's quite a few. I actually haven't listed the whole list of different symptoms, um, but that's just some of the main ones. So a racing heart is very typical, so your heart rate increases. There's a lot of muscle tension because there's extra blood that's now pumping into your arms and your legs. There's uh, sweating, trembling, digestive systems um, issues. So some people get migraines or, you know, um, have problems, um, you know, digesting their food properly. Uh, you can feel sick headaches, dizziness, chest pains. Some people get pains around here. Uh, I used to counsel a student who used to break out in a rash every time she was really anxious. Um, I know of people that get twitches, so kind of like involuntary muscle twitches in different parts of their bodies. So there's a few ways that anxiety can really manifest uh, physically. And in terms of behaviourally, um, once you feel this bad, so your thinking is not the best, you're not feeling emotionally that great, and physically you've got these um, symptoms, one of the common ways that people deal with um, anxiety is to avoid the situation that makes you feel anxious. So in psychology, we call this avoidance behaviour. And in the short term, it seems to provide some relief, obviously. So if you're not in a situation that makes you feel anxious, then you're not going to feel as bad. But in the long term, it actually makes you feel a lot worse. So, because you're not learning how to cope, you're indirectly telling yourself or thinking that I can't cope um, and it's too scary to face. And I guess part of overcoming anxiety is to work on the thinking, but also putting yourself in a situation where you are learning how to cope through whatever it is that makes you feel anxious. So, avoidance behaviour is very big. In terms of spiritually, I know of Christians who have got uh, anxiety symptoms that stop them from being able to concentrate when they come to church. So I've got a client at the moment who every time she comes to church because she feels anxious around people and because uh, she's got a lot of negative thinking about, um, she judges herself quite a lot, then she, um, when the sermon is being presented, she finds it really hard just to think because she just gets so anxious. So on a spiritual level, your anxiety can interfere with your spiritual health, but as well, the flip side is also true, which is if you are further away from God, there might be a tendency to start to think in ways that aren't healthy. So to have more irrational thoughts and to have more despair and all of those type of emotions. 
So it goes both ways. Now the next clip that I'm going to show, I just want to um, present a little warning. It's a section from a Harry Potter movie, and um, it's just a very small section, and it's um, where uh, the kids are in the class, and it's they're learning about how to reframe or change something that they're fearing. So it's about fears. And if anybody has got a fear of snakes or spiders, and even just seeing something visually makes you feel scared, just close your eyes or turn away <laughs> or block your ears. I don't know. You have to think of a way, but just a warning. So I'll just play it, hopefully. And I'm not sure how great the sound is. Let's see if it works. Maybe. Ah, okay. Sorry, that was it. And then it kind of decided to... Uh, I'll give it another go. Should a guess as to what is inside. That's a bog of lettuce. Very good, Mr. Tom. Now, can anybody tell me what a bogot looks like? No one knows. When she get here. Bogots are shapeshifters. They take the shape of whatever a particular person fears the most. That's what makes them so. So terrifying, yes, yes, yes. Luckily, a very simple charm exists to repel a bogot. Let's practice it now. Uh, without wands, please. After me. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Very good. A little louder and very clear. Listen. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. This class is ridiculous. Very good. Well, so much for the easy part. You see, the incantation alone is not enough. What really finishes a boggart is laughter. You need to force it to assume a shape you find truly amusing. Let me explain. Uh, Devil, will you join me, please? Come on, don't be shy. Come on. Come on. Hello? Neville, what frightens you most of all? Professor Snape. Sorry? Professor Snape. Professor Snape. <laughs> yeah. Frightens all. And I believe you live with your grandmother. Yes, but I don't want that boggart to turn into her either. <laughs> no. It won't. I want you to picture her clothes, only her clothes, very clearly in your mind. She carries a red handbag. You don't need to hear. As long as you see it, we'll see it. Now, when I open that wardrobe, here's what I want you to do. Excuse me. Imagine Professor Snape in your grandmother's clothes. Can you do that? Yes. Wand at the ready. One, two, three. Think, Neville, think. Ridiculous! <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, Neville, wonderful, incredible. Okay, to the back, Neville. Everyone form a line. <clears throat> Oh, 
online. I want everyone to picture the thing they fear the very most and turn it into something funny. Next. Rod. Concentrate. Here's your fear. Be brave. <laughs> Wanda the ready. Ridiculous. Yes! <laughs> very good, very good. Marvelous. Absolutely very, very enjoyable. Well, that's it. That's it. Show us what you see. <laughs> Keep going. Steady. issues with that clip. First of all, why did she change the snake into a scary clown? <laughs> right? <laughs> anyway, I don't understand. But um, anyway, so with that clip, uh, obviously they were taught to change the way that they saw the thing that they feared, which is okay if you've got an irrational thought, but if it's uh, something that you should fear, like some spiders or a snake, you really shouldn't do that. You should actually be careful. So that's another issue that I've got from the clip. But it's a good example of um, trying to change the way that we see something so that we fear it less, so that we experience less anxiety. So um, some of the causes of anxiety, there's a few different causes. Um, it could be an experience that you've had. So with the clip, you know, if somebody's had a negative experience, let's say, I don't know, with some, I don't know, like a snake or, you know, if somebody got bitten by a dog when they were younger, then it's not uncommon then to feel scared every time you were faced with uh, a dog. Even though uh, other dogs that you might encounter are quite friendly, it's common for some people to still have some anxiety symptoms. So that's just an example of a negative experience that leads to stress that obviously becomes what we call a learnt response. Uh, personality traits, there is some evidence to suggest that there are some personalities that are more prone to feel anxious. So for example, um, introverts or uh, people that are shy, so they might put themselves or may, may not put themselves in situations where they're uh, socially comfortable and so they don't learn how to adjust or to, I guess, you know, be in those type of situations so that fear remains. Uh, a perfectionist as well can have uh, anxiety because they get so fixated on things being a certain way and, and there's nothing wrong with being a perfectionist or shy or an introvert. I'm just giving examples of some personality traits that may have a tendency to develop anxiety. So genetics, so there is a lot of evidence to suggest that um, if you've got some family members that already have some mental health issues, then there's an increased likelihood that you might also have or develop some you know, anxiety or depression or something like that. Again, it's not a guarantee, it's just a likelihood. Um, and the last one is role modelling or learning. Um, obviously, if you're brought up a certain way and let's say you have a very anxious parent who teaches you that the world is a really scary place and, you know, you're not allowed to go outside and play or rough it up, then you might develop a fear of, you know, germs or, you know, going out and all sorts of things. So those are some of the contributors. 
So in terms of anxiety and the way that it happens, I'm just going to briefly mention this, but this is really important to understand. So basically what happens is there might be a trigger from the outside, so it might be something that triggers off your anxiety, and then what happens is your, there's a part of your brain called the amygdala, which is just behind your ears, and it's tiny little almond-shaped parts, and they act as a stress response. So as soon as your um, thinking is, oh, this is a scary situation, that part of your brain gets triggered off or gets activated, and then that releases hormones into your body and your brain that get you prepared for action. So we call this the fight, flight, or freeze response. And if you're in a situation that is dangerous, this is a very normal, natural way to respond to protect yourself. Even in the Bible, there are examples of situations where people were in extreme stress or distress, um, and it was very normal. Like King David, he was hiding in the caves in the Old Testament, um, but that was very appropriate because he actually did fear for his life. So there is, you know, and even Jesus, when he was about to go to the, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he knew that he was going to be taken away and face his death, he did um, sweat. Uh, beads of blood, it says. Some people think that's extreme. That's a sign of extreme stress. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that he didn't trust God, because he did. He still did what God willed him to do, um, but Jesus did experience normal human stress response. So, in some situations, it's actually very normal and very natural. So, the problem with experiencing this anxiety response is that a lot of people these days are experiencing it too often and it's, um, it gets triggered off unnecessarily. So, and that's the problem that we're seeing at the moment. And the problem with that as well is that when you uh, release those chemicals, the part of your brain that's responsible for thinking clearly switches off. So it's very hard when you're having a panic attack then to rationalise yourself through that panic attack. That's why if, you, if you've got a, a friend or a relative or someone that you know who get, when they're in a you know, heightened um, uh, moment of stress, it's very hard to have a conversation with them because all you can do is feel how, how bad the stress is. So the best thing to do is to help them to calm down or if you experience anxiety yourself, the best thing to do is to calm down first and then you're able to think more clearly. So... Okay, so just a few quick statistics just to help you to see and understand how prevalent anxiety is at the moment. And these stats are probably a few years old and I got them from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. There's about 2 million people, Australians per year, that experience anxiety. This is a few years old. That's double the amount of people that experience depression. So it's quite a huge amount. Uh, about one in every three women, one in every five men, and about 40% of people will experience a panic attack at least once in their lives. Um, at the bottom right-hand corner, on average, about one in six young people experience anxiety uh, disorders, and that's between the ages of 12 and 17 years of age, and that's equivalent to about 440,000 in a 12-month period. So it's quite a lot. In terms of um, how quickly it's increased, uh, if I had to compare statistics from 2012 to 2015, in 2012 it was about 3.8% of 
and in 2015 it rose up to about 11.2. So about three times increase, which is quite, quite significant. And like I said, these stats are a little bit old. So I imagine that it's probably even a little bit higher now. So clearly it's a problem. And I guess you could think, well, you know, since anxiety is there and God has created us so that we can have this stress response when we need it, um, since it's there, it, does that mean that we are in more danger? You know, because obviously it's supposed to be a reaction to danger. And the answer to that is no, absolutely not. We're actually living in the safest time ever in history. So I haven't got the, the graphs up today, um, but there's three graphs that I usually show, and basically it, it does show that across many decades that homicide rates, crime rates, um, war deaths has de definitely been on the decrease. And so if you look at the graph, we're always down towards the bottom end compared to years and years ago. So we actually are living in a very safe time. So clearly there's a, a different type of problem going on here because a lot of people are experiencing anxiety and yet we're not actually in a situation where we should be more fearful. So what are some of the contributors then? Because clearly there's something that's contributing to this problem. So I'm just going to explain some of this. Um, and there's a few different things that I believe um, from the research that I've done and through the work that I've done and through just living in this time and age that I believe contribute to high levels of anxiety. So one of the, the changes that has contributed is the increased individualism. So in modern society I'm talking about, there has been a change in the way that we live. So obviously we live further away from each other, we're a little bit more disconnected. Um, I mean obviously it's good to have a church community because that, that keeps us connected. But in general, uh, there's a lot more individualism. And there's a famous psychiatrist by the name of Bessel van der Kolk. I don't know if anyone's heard of him, but he's considered to be the world expert on traumatic stress. And he's worked for, I don't know, probably about three decades or four decades with uh, people that have either been uh, abused or experienced some type of trauma and experienced a lot of stress. And he says that study after study shows that having a good support network constitutes the single most powerful protection against becoming traumatised. He says that safety and terror are incompatible. So this whole idea that having a good support network um, is really, really vital. And even uh, studies on resilience, what makes people resilient in, in situations that are traumatic, it's when they have a good community support network. So it's really important for us to be with people, to encourage people to look out for them because it does make a difference. Now, obviously, you might think, uh, well, we're more connected to each other, but the, the type of connection that we have is quite different. So, you know, obviously with um, technology and social media and texting and all those type of things, you know, we may be more connected, but it's a lot more impersonal. So uh, Tara Bach, who's a psychologist, she talks about this in one of her workshops. It's called Cybertrance. And she says that we naturally have a longing to connect, but the internet encourages a virtual reality and actually leads to more loneliness and insecurity. And basically, um, what she also explains is that when we are with people, like face to face, 
we release what's called mirror neurons. Mirror neurons are bits of information in your brain that mimic what's going on with the person in front of you. So, for example, if I was with one of you, and let's say you um, started to cry, you were feeling sad, you were sharing with me something that you've experienced, I naturally would feel empathy and compassion, and I would feel sad for you. And that's me releasing some chemicals that help me to connect to what you're going through. Unfortunately, when we communicate through text and emails, that doesn't happen. So there's an impersonal aspect to that type of communication. And the other problem as well is that when we're connected face to face, we're also able to adapt what we're going to, how we're going to respond to that person. That doesn't happen appropriately through the other types of communication. I used to work in a high school. I don't think I mentioned it. Uh, I worked in a high school for 10 years. And uh, two of those years were in a co-ed, and the remaining eight was in one girl, girl, all-girls high school. And the amount of um, uh, students that were referred to me, I was a school counsellor, who either experienced anxiety or depression or you know, self-harm or, or anything like that because of something very cruel that somebody had posted on some type of chat side or some, through some social media um, avenue was really bad. So it was quite distressing for a lot of students and it's just there's no filter when you can just blurt out what you think without having to adjust what you say because that person's, you know, usually hopefully would be in front of you. So to be very aware of that. Um, another change that has happened and there's a social researcher by the name of Hugh Mackay who talks about Australian adolescence and obviously being the offspring of our most divorced generation of parents. And he just talks about how, you know, a lot of teenagers are having and kids are having to deal with that. Obviously, that doesn't mean that you're going to develop anxiety disorder because of that, but it does increase the amount of stress when there's already other things contributing to, um, you know, to being a teenager that can be quite stressful. Um, the second point is about also, again, with uh, um, technology, and I don't want to pick on technology, but hey, I guess this is part of it, it's, it's, it's true. So there's, uh, we're overstimulated. So in Western, you know, in modern society, we spend a lot of time being distracted by different types of uh, technology, and it actually does change the way that your brain processes information. So we are learning to juggle information because we've got so many different screens open or we're switching from one bit of information to another and that actually releases a lot of adrenaline. And adrenaline is what gets released when you're feeling anxious. So it's, it's got a whole bunch of people that are just always tense. I counsel uh, quite a few young adults that talk to me about how when... Um, and they've got a tendency to be anxious, and they say that when somebody doesn't respond back to them really quickly, that they, their mind starts to then go on to think things like, you know, have I done something wrong, or why haven't they called me back straight away? So there's this tendency to um, overthink the situation and also to always be on call, so you're always waiting, which is obviously the opposite of being relaxed, right? So, and if you want more information about that, there's a guy by the name of Nicholas Carr, and he did a lot of research into it, and he actually talks about the way that your brain processes information these days. Um, 
a survey that was done in 2017, I think, showed that 18 to 24-year-old Australians check their phones up to 56 times a day. Some check it more than 200 times daily. About half of 18 to 24-year-olds check their phones within five minutes of waking. Yeah, and that was that the information is pretty current. So, I mean, if I had to be honest, I'd say that I do check my phone within five minutes of waking, but it's only to check to see what the weather is. So <laughs> I need to know what to wear. <laughs> so, so I think that's okay. Um, but, the, but you should really analyse and see, well, what do I do? Because it's really important, because we just live in this world where we just um, adapt to whatever's, I guess, new. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually healthy for you. And you may not realise how much of an effect it has on you because it's just part of your world. So this is a challenge that we need to slow down. And even from a Christian point of view, Jesus, uh, who was ministering to the multitude of people, um, even he took time off to retreat and to spend some time in solitude so that he could pray to God the Father. So, I mean, if Jesus could do it and he's our role model, then clearly we must do it too. We need to switch off. We need to slow down. It's not healthy for us. Um, and it just doesn't help us in terms of mental health and also spiritual health. So it's really important that we factor in how do I live, how do I think, what are the types of choices that I make, and what adjustments do I need to make so that I can be healthier, not only as a person but also as a Christian. It's really, really important. Um, another issue, of course, is not just the fact that we spend too much time you know, with technology, but it's also what types of things do we spend our time doing on our screens. So there's, there's a lot of um, current information that you know, suggests that a lot of people are, are developing a lot of addictions. So there's gaming addiction, which is quite um, popular, especially in certain parts of the world. Um, I've counted quite a few, uh, again, young adults who are addicted to looking at posts. So they will spend hours, and I really literally mean hours, just scrolling through Instagram and then get stressed out because they haven't started their uni assignment yet. So you can hear that this is obviously a problem. So it's a form of procrastination, but it actually is not a relaxing form of procrastination. So you've got two problems here. And then pornography, that's another issue. And I know that a lot of Christians don't talk about it much, um, but I think that we need to talk about it because I, I do see a lot of clients now who are, are very openly admitting that they really struggle with these issues. And it does increase a lot of um, um, adrenaline release as well as other chemicals. So it's a real problem and it's very, very addictive. So clearly we're not spending enough time relaxing and slowing down and not enough time sleeping. Um, I read an article the other day that said that teenagers were amongst the most sleep-deprived and overstimulated individuals currently. So there's a real big problem here. So it's something that we need to address. Our attitudes are also something that contributes to feeling anxious. So having high expectations, you know, uh, expecting things to happen immediately, having the I want it now, I want it all, I want it now attitude, which is that Freddie Mercury song that's used as an advertisement for Foxtel Play. Um, and we live in, in that mindset. No, no, no joke. We, obviously, we, we do, we live in that mindset where if we don't get it now, then you know, all of a sudden you're stressed and you can't cope. And the truth is you can cope and you don't need it now and you might not actually get everything that you want. 
So we're living in a bubble of unrealistic thinking and expectations, and it's actually not helpful for us as people and not helpful for us as Christians. So, and there's an overfocus on the future and in terms of um, focusing on the things that you think that you want and what if I don't get it? And that's not healthy either because we need to learn to live more in the present with hopes and goals, but knowing that they can change at any time and the now is where you can actually make a difference. So what type of choices am I making today? So in terms of uh, from a Christian point of view, Jesus talks about some of this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. And this is the part where he tells his disciples not to worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. And he goes on to say that God takes care of us and that we are very valuable to him. So clearly, even from a Christian point of view, we're not meant to be worrying about all those things that we tend to worry about. We're meant to trust God and to focus on what we have today. In my Bible study group, I've got an elderly member who always um, uh, says, we need to be happy with what we have, not what we want. And I just think that's really powerful. We need to be happy with what we have, not what we want. So it's something to really live by, in my opinion. And a lot of these changes that we're experiencing in, in modern society, even though they can seem harmless on some levels, we have to really think about, well, what, is the, what are the values that we're actually taking from this? So instead of, and I believe that a lot of these values are actually in contradiction to some Christian values. So for example, instead of um, focusing on instant gratification, we should be learning to be more patient and to experience perseverance, which is biblical, right? Um, instead of comparing ourselves to each other, and <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> instead of comparing ourselves to each other and caring too much about what others think, we should be looking towards God and caring about what He thinks. Instead of, you know, the balance seems to be tipped the other way. Instead of expecting to have a perfect life and for things to be relatively easy, we should recognise that only God is perfect and that we live in a, a broken world that is imperfect. And that's why we yearn for another place. Um, we need to accept our limitations, knowing that God is limitless and, that, and because of that we can go to him for guidance and strength and support. So the way that we live, the way that we think is not only not good for our mental health, it's also not particularly good for our spiritual health. So these are things that we need to address. So at the core of anxiety, if I had to just break down everything that I said and just summarise it, I would say that there's a fear of the unknown, that there's unrealistic expectations, and there's a need to control. So I'm going to address these three points from the Bible. So let's have a look to see, first of all, at what God has to say about the fear of the unknown. Okay. So, so this is a uh, verse from Jeremiah, and I haven't got it in my notes. For, oh, here it is. Okay, so for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. 
And at this time, the context of this, um, this quote is when the Israelites were, were expecting God to deliver them from exile. I think it was within two years or something, but they were there for much longer. So basically, this section is, based, is just reminding us that God is in control. He does know what the future holds. And we may not know, and we have to learn to accept that. We're not all-knowing. We're not like God. So, and there's a lot of trust and acceptance that is involved with taking that on board. In terms of control, many are the plans in the mind of a man or woman, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. That's from Proverbs 19.21. And a similar verse, as I have planned so shall it be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. That's from Isaiah. So basically, this is the second thing that we have to accept, not only that we are not all-knowing, but we are not completely in control. So we have to accept that we do have some controls in the way that we live, but it's limited, that God has supreme control over everything. And um, this actually reminds me of the serenity prayer. So I don't know if many of you are familiar with the serenity prayer, but if you go to Christian bookshops like Kurong in Westride, usually you'll get the first two verses or three verses on posters. Um, But I want to read the whole thing to you because I just think it's fantastic. So this is how it goes. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking, as he did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and ever in the next. Amen. So the first three sections... Uh, what we usually hear, which is these beautiful wisdom words of knowing the difference between what I can control, what I can't, and being okay with that. But then it goes on to talk about, you know, one day at a time. And I was talking to someone earlier about, um, um, because my husband went to Africa two years ago, and we've got sponsor kids there, and in our church, we, a group of us go every two years. And he was talking about with our, um, he was telling me, and I was sharing with someone, that the kids there, they've got so much less than any of us have, and yet they seem so much more joyful and happy. And clearly, they have to walk a few kilometres just to get some clean water, and they're only allowed to take two buckets of water back to their homes. And they they live in these dirty little mattresses, Their bedroom is just a tiny little mattress that they share with their siblings. They don't have much, and that's the way that they live. And yet they've got so much love and so much joy. And I asked my husband, you know, why he thought they were so joyful, and he said that it was because they live one day at a time. They, They are thankful that they are alive, and they are focusing on, well, if I get food today, that's a blessing. So it's a different mindset to the way that we've been brought up in our world, which is we're always trying to want more and more to make us to feel content and happy. So it's, it's a real challenge for us, I think, to try to take one day at a time 
and to be grateful for what we have, not necessarily what we want. And I love the end part of this section um, in the serenity prayer, which is, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and ever in the next. So there's this idea, which I think is very honest, which is I may not be completely happy here. Of course, I'll have moments of happiness, and that's great. Um, but I, I've got to recognise that this world is not going to be a perfect place for me, but God is perfect, and God has got promises for me that I need to grab hold of. And even Paul talks about this when he describes all of the, the hardships that he's been through. Um, Paul the Apostle in Philippians. And, you know, I don't know if you know much about Paul the Apostle, but he describes himself as being um, knowing what hunger was like, knowing what it was like to also have plenty. Um, he'd been persecuted. He'd been in prison several times. He'd, he had a thorn in his side that we don't know what that is, um, a struggle that he experienced. He'd been shipwrecked. So he experienced so many things that were quite difficult, and yet he said, I have learnt to be content. And that he has done this through um, doing everything through God's strength. So he didn't rely on himself and his weak mind and his weak body. He gave it all to God, and it was about God. So he entrusted all of his cares to God, and somehow in God's strength, he got through it. So and he kept his eyes focused on something that was much, much greater. So what can we expect from God? Okay. Well, I'm just going to run through lots of verses because there is so much in this little section here um, about what we can expect, even more than what I've, I'm going to present today. Um, we, when, we can expect that we will never be forsaken, that God's not going to forsake us. God, please don't forsake me. <laughs> oh, there you go. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. So God promises that he's not going to turn away from us if we turn to him. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pretty amazing, isn't it? God supplies our needs, so our needs, not our wants. And my God, oops, go back a bit. I'll just read it out. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God will comfort us. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's a very popular verse. God will sustain us. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. God cares for us. This is a similar verse. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God will strengthen us. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. 
And that's what um, the Apostle Paul says. God gives us peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give. And this is Jesus talking. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Beautiful words from Jesus. And of course, this is the famous verse found in Philippians. Um, and this is a section which is uh, often quoted when Christians are talking about stress and anxiety. If you go to a Christian bookshop, any book that you pick up on, the, uh, on this particular topic of anxiety will have this in it, I'm pretty sure. So, and I'm just going to read out a big chunk of it. And at the beginning, it does talk about rejoicing in God, and it actually repeats it a few times. So obviously, there's things to rejoice about. But then it starts off by saying, the Lord is near. Now, I think that this is really, really important to be aware when you're thinking about these verses to remember that God is near. Because even though you may not feel that God is near, he is. And I can relate to this personally because um, probably about, I don't know, maybe about 15 years ago now, I can't remember, it's been a long time, I actually experienced anxiety uh, to a point where it was, it was challenging, okay, and I remember trying to explain to my husband what I was going through. He, uh, my husband couldn't relate to her. He didn't quite understand. And there were a few people that I knew that kind of understood because they had gone through something else like depression and it was nice to talk to them. But the truth is that I did have times where I felt very alone with, with the feelings of anxiety. And I remember that I found it really difficult to pray to God because I was just so anxious. I just, it was really hard. It was a challenge. And I remember uh, on one particular day, I was um, sitting in my backyard and I was just with my Bible and I was trying to pray to God. And I just opened up in the Psalms and I can't remember which Psalm um, that, my, that I actually focused on, but there was, I just really felt as if God was talking to me. Because what I was feeling and what I read on that particular day I really believed and I really felt that God was comforting me through his words. And it was such a fantastic feeling to know that God was near. So, and even though the anxiety disappeared from that point onwards, I did feel very comforted and very encouraged and it just helped me to feel that I really wasn't alone. So God is near. So you bring all your stuff to God because he's there waiting and caring for you. So then um, it goes on to, to read, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there again, it's talking about how God guards not only our thinking, so our thinking needs to be transformed, but also our hearts. So what we're feeling is also something that God can take, or take care of or at least help us with. So, and then finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have heard or learnt or received, from me or seen in me, put it into practice, 
and the peace of God will be with you. So this second section is telling us where to put our minds. The thing about anxiety is there's a tendency to think about the wrong things or to think about it in the wrong way, okay? And here we're getting from Paul instructions of how we should be thinking. We need to keep our eyes focused on, you know, on Jesus and on God's truth. And here he gives us a clue what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure. And then he goes on to say, whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And this is really important because as Christians or as people, anxiety, like I said to you before, it's something that we experience in, in the full sense in the way that we think, the way that we feel, the type of choices that we make. So here Paul is giving us, I guess, a formula in a way that we have to transform the way that we think by focusing on the right thing and also putting to practice what we see him doing. So it's a twofold um, thing that's happening here. It's not just about the way that you think, it's about stepping out in faith because that's when the real change happens. There's no point in just thinking all these lovely things but then you actually don't practice it. You need to step out in faith. You need to you know, grab hold of God's truth and actually live it so that it becomes a living faith. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And he says, and the God, and God of peace will be with you. So you're never alone in doing this. Um, and in Romans 12, 12, um, Paul the Apostle also says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, in psychology, we call this whole thing formula or whatever you want to call it, we call this CBT. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of that. It stands for Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, which basically is the idea that psychologists have come up with, which we call evidence-based psychology, which is if you change the way that you think, then it will change that, that new thinking will have a uh, positive effect on how you feel, and then you've got to act on that according to the new way of thinking. Now, the good news is that God's actually come up with this first, so he actually beat the psychologists. <laughs> so we've just put a really nice name to it, CBT, but the truth is it's all in the Bible anyway. You know, God's already come up with what we need to do to help us in our times of need, and he's got clear instructions. It's not just to pray about it. It's think differently, put it into practice, live out your faith, encourage each other, be real, be honest, share, it's all of that. So as Christians, we are going to experience anxiety without a doubt, without a doubt. Anxiety doesn't discriminate between Christians and non-Christians or you know, different races or religions. It doesn't make a difference. It's something that we are going to experience, but we have to be aware of, am I anxious about something that I really shouldn't be anxious about? Do I need to get help to maybe you know, assist me in trying to um, change the way that I see things? Do I need to learn how to, um, I don't know, learn strategies to try to help me to calm down when I'm having a panic attack so that I can think more clearly? Do I need to memorise verses? Will that be helpful? Uh, when I was going through my anxiety, I did memorise verses. I found it incredibly helpful. Now, obviously, like I said, it doesn't mean that, you know, everything is solved, but it was very helpful. So because it's there in your head and it's helping you to... I guess, giving you a different way of thinking instead of going down the anxiety, um, the anxiety route, which is very unhelpful. Okay, so this, um, we've got a few minutes. So these are just a few ideas of 
uh, what you can do to manage your anxiety. Like I said, I started off by sharing that it's, I take a holistic approach and I think that's exactly how you should uh, respond to anxiety. So it's about your thoughts. Am I thinking it the right way? It's about my emotions. Am I accepting that anxiety is something that I might feel sometimes and that's okay, but other times it's too intense and I need to learn how to manage that. From a physical point of view, it's also something where chemicals are released. So you can do things like exercise and learn relaxation um, strategies or managing your sleep better because all of that helps you to feel calmer. So like I said, your lifestyle and your choices can actually affect the amount of anxiety that you experience. In terms of behaviour, you know, do you need to maybe some, have some assistance or some help in trying to face some of those things that really frighten you? Um, and you can obviously see someone and get some help or try to do it yourself. Am I living a balanced lifestyle? Am I spending too much time, you know, on a, a screen? Or am I out there enjoying people and life and all the things that God has created and given me to enjoy? So it's about having a real balance in every part of who you are. And I think that that's part of the solution. And a verse that I really love, and it's probably one of my favourite verses, comes from John chapter 16, verse 33, and this is Jesus talking. And he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I just think that's such a powerful verse because it just gives us hope and we can rely on God's strength because you know, Jesus has gone through it first, so we can always go to him. It's such a beautiful, powerful section. So that's um, the presentation. I hope you found it helpful. I think I'll be hanging around if anybody wants to have a chat um, and if you want some extra reading material, if you've got some time, I do have a list up here. So there's just a few things that I've taken some of the information from. And in terms of helping people or helping yourself, there's no shame in going to see a counsellor, a psychologist, your minister, an assistant minister, a friend. Be open. People need people, um, depending on you know, your anxiety levels and what it is that's making you feel anxious. You may need either more professional help or prayer. Um, but it's good to start to talk about it and to take on board some of these things so that way you can start to help yourself in God's strength. So.